Hi, it's Zoe, and what an amazing interview we have in store for you today. Oshoke Pamela Abalu is an amazing woman, and you'll notice straight away the quality of her energy. She is such a distilled pool of love and amazingness. <laughs> I just had such a delight interviewing her. And actually, as you listen to it, you'll hear me actually have my brain shifted in one of the concepts that she shares around belonging. And when you hold a belief for so long and have it challenged and changed, it's an amazing thing. So beyond hearing my brain go, (laughs) you can look forward to some deep insights on what it means to advocate for symphony instead of diversity in our workplaces and why it's no longer a nice to do, but a compelling business thing to do. So plenty of wonderful takeaways in this. Enjoy. Let's do it. So excited to have Oshoke Pamela Abalu. And we did have some practice before getting on the call. (laughs) Make sure I pronounced it properly. This fantastic, fabulous woman who I came across when she wrote an article in Fast Company about symphony. It's a new perspective on diversity and inclusion, how we show up as humans in the world. Now, that's like the little teaser, but um, Oshoke has... A fabulous, fabulous profile. She is the co-founder of this brilliant company called Love and Magic Company. It's a tech-forward consultancy, she says, powered by love, magic, and artificial intelligence, which I think is just fantastic. Who says that about their business? I love it. Uh, They pioneer human-centered design solutions that infuse consciousness, energy flow, and inclusivity into global workplace transformations. She is a Cranes 40 Under 40 honoree. She is reimagining the future of work through ecosystem innovations like inclusion and symphony, which we're going to dive into, and smiles per square foot, which I love as a concept, where people and technology work side by side to improve lived experiences and amplify human potential. So I love the summary. She is, has been licensed at the age of 26 as the 179th living licensed black female architect in the U.S., so trained and developed as an architect and has since led the transformation over 1 billion of workplaces for thousands of individuals in 65 countries. She's been featured in Time, Smart Planet, Real Simple Magazine, Domino Magazine, Interior Design Magazine, The Network Journal, ABC, NBC, Fox, CBS, (laughs) Fast Company, all over the place. And here she is on the Zoe Routh Leadership Podcast. Welcome, Oshoke. Zoe, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. And thank you for that generous, generous introduction. So happy. Yes, I'm so glad we can manage to tee it up too, because there's so many questions I have about who you are, how you're showing up, and your philosophy and principles. So um, first things first, where are you right now? Where are you on the planet? I'm in Brooklyn, New York. Brooklyn, New York. Fantastic. Not too far from where my sister lives. She lives in Westfield, New Jersey. So a little bit of a hop, skip, and a jump away. Um, And that's been your home base for a long time? For the last 20 years, I'll say. But really, I've, just, I've spent a lot of time traveling, whether for work. I mean, just everyone's really just a global citizen these days with projects. Yeah. All right. Well, can you just give us a little bit of an insight from your journey into being trained as an architect, setting up this evolutionary forward business, which has as its core love and Hopefully, we're going to talk about your um, the organizational model you have on your site as well. So how do you go from architect to setting up this forward-focused company and what's happening for you now in your work life? Thank you. Thank you for asking. 
as an architect, my superpower and my passion really was a focus on the the human experience of space. And now there's a lot of there's a lot of studies with regards to neuroesthetics and its impact on the brain and the human experience. But just innately, as an architect, when I thought about space, I thought about how people felt in space in my work as uh, the chief architect at MetLife. I was responsible for 75,000 seats, people. And I knew that the work was really about bringing delight and joy into the human experience of work in addition to meeting all other baselines and exceeding them. And along with a small team of super friends, by the time we looked up, um, we had completely transformed a uh, hundred year, 150 year old insurance company, and the results were more than we expected. You know, the results were, I think, also personally and professionally expansive of what uh, attention to another person's life could do for an organization. And so I had that keen interest. And my partner is a serial entrepreneur who believes that technology can be the coordinating aspect of this empathy of the human experience. That technology and the tools that we now have has the potential for us to start to ask questions like instead of what is your job, it's who do you help with these tools? What problems do you solve with these tools? What unmet needs do you meet with these tools? And the idea that technology, you know, physical space is amazing. It's wonderful to watch the transformation of space from just the transformation of an idea from the visioning stage to when it's fully built. With technology, it's the infinite nature of information sharing is so beautiful and still very architectural. So you have this tool that doesn't negate my work in architecture and physical space, but this other tool that allows me to bring my unique perspective of the human experience or the opportunities to delight the human experience into products and services and organizations using technology and using the newest intelligence. I mean, it was just so juicy. Uh, and it's been, again, very much to my benefit because I've gotten to learn more than, um, more than I could have imagined and bring this also different perspective into the tech space. It is a different perspective, and I'm listening to to you and your voice and the quality and energy behind who you are and what you're saying. I'm curious about how you developed this perspective of symphony of multiplicity about honoring human experience and human and human life in all of its multiplicity. What has shaped you on this journey to be so human-centric and delightful in the interface of technology and space and humans? Well, thank you, Zoe. I appreciate that. Um, 
I think grace, you know, I think it's the grace to understand my privilege and it's the grace to perceive the um, opportunity to show up while we're alive um, and leave the world better than we saw it. You know, I was recently at a conference and I forget who was speaking. I think it was Mark Nebo. Maybe not. I don't really remember. But the person said something so profound. They said, if you are sitting in a burning house, your house, and burning all around you, would you just sit down and watch the flames? Or would you get up and try to put it out? What would you do? And part of the human experience is just that. If we're here and we see our house burning, do we watch it? You know, the rest of the people coming may not have a house. Or do we look at our superpowers and say, I can do this. I run very fast. I can bring some water. I can do something. And I say grace because I know it's a privilege to be able to perceive the opportunity to serve and show up, especially in this concept of work that is still so foggy. You see that as a privilege? I'm curious, compared to to other people, it's a privilege to show up and, and be in service and work? Or what does privilege mean to you in this context? Privilege means to me the, the perspective that my work is service, the perspective that my work is in service to the human collective, that my superpowers are to solve problems through work. Okay. So that's a privilege to, to one, recognize what your superpower is, and two, be able to apply it in service to the greater human collective. It's not anything that I've trained at. I feel it's, it's grace. It's the grace to perceive it, and it's the grace to pursue it, see the results, and continue. I think the way that you use it is different to where I've heard it used differently here in Australia. So privilege, the way that you're describing it, is that sense of honor. Um, it's an honor, yes. It's a privilege. It's yeah, it's something noble and, and wonderful to be able to know your superpower and be in service. Um, the way that privilege is sometimes referred to here in Australia in the current dialogue, particularly around diversity and inclusion, is to recognize that some people come from a place of privilege, which is not honor. It's more about because of who they are and where they were born and the advantages they got. So privilege is equated to social advantage. And so in the conversations I've had with different people around discrimination as well as acceptance it's all centered around like where's your sense of opportunity <laughs> how much opportunity do you have because of the way that you were born the families that you were born into the amount of money that you have were you wealthy were you colored were you abled or disabled that kind of stuff so th that's why I was like your use of the word privilege kind of came referenced that and I love so much that you you talk about work as an honor and a privilege so perhaps it's a good segue into one of the things that you've been relishing and exploring and as you said before we got on the call has taken on a life of its own this idea of human symphony which is a different kind of take on what is diversity inclusion so please 
share the genius of this idea and this concept and this calling, I guess, to the human element in all of us. Thank you. It's, uh, I'm really excited about it. It's, I, I went to another conference and just, again, by grace, I found myself at, a, at my very first diversity and inclusion panel ever. And as I heard these world leaders speak about the problem and their solutions, it came into presence that there was this underlying opportunity we were all missing. And the underlying opportunity is to reframe the narrative of diversity and inclusion, to look at where we are and to reframe it from a position of lack and limitation to a position of opportunity, a position of, again, privilege. And one of the most simple that I felt things we could do was with regards to our language, our invitation to belong, right? So diversity and inclusion, does it feel good to anyone? Let's just even start there. Diversity means disparate. It means separate. And what I shared with the group is, this is what we've met, but this doesn't mean this is what we have to marinate in. We have this opportunity to re-examine where we are on the subject. And I proposed that we considered evolving the language of diversity and inclusion to a new language of inclusion and symphony for three reasons. And the first reason is just, let's just look around us. Look at this new digital age we're in. Let's just look at the amount of change there's so much happening so fast. The most innovative organizations are only surviving because they have unique perspectives. They're prepared. So um, diversity and inclusion is no longer a charitable opportunity. It's no longer affirmative action, but rather necessary action. The unique perspectives of an organization's people are its greatest advantage in this age of the unknown. So that was the first reason. So just if you just think about that, your invitation is not charitable. Like it's an invitation. You know, it's an invitation for the sake of the future of your organization. I always talk about, um, I wrote a little bit about how in 1958, corporations in the S&P 500 lasted on the index uh, an average of 60 years. Today, it's 12 years. Oh, really? Wow, it's shrunk a lot. Yeah. And the second opportunity that we have just in this time and in, in just where we are is we're all, every one of us, we're all participants in this conversation. This is not a conversation of them. Them is you. We're all participants in the creation of future systems that serve the next seven generations. So whether you play or you don't play, this whole diversity and inclusion conversation also pertains to you. And I had to realize that myself when I went into this meeting and saw that we all have this great opportunity to show up as participants in this design to show up as participants 
requires our attention. It requires for us to look at it with empathy. It's not that we're fitting family member into the family portrait and making it work. It's that without the family member in the portrait, the portrait is incomplete. And even if that's not what we've experienced, what gift are we leaving for our kids' kids? How are we hooking them up? It requires this mindful refocus that this is not about them. This is about all of us creating a new system where this conversation is not still happening in 20 years. Mm. That's right. Like, I think we shouldn't be having the conversation about difference in the way that it comes from a place of lack. We should be having a conversation about difference where it's about the richness of perspective, of tapestry, or as you say, of symphony. Can you talk a little bit about the metaphor and your concept of symphony in this conversation? The final point that ties into your question is, well, how do we do that, right? This thing is huge. How How do we actually do that? Well, the first thing is, what's your language to belong, right? Just what is your language to belong? I love this quote. Rabbi Yehuda Berg wrote, words are singularly the most powerful force available to humanity. Words have power and energy with the ability to help, to hurt, to harm, to hinder, to heal, to humiliate, and to humble. We can choose to use these words positively, words of encouragement, or negatively, or destructively, words of despair. And so in the conversation around diversity and inclusion, it's just so heavy. It's like people who even want to participate are just like turned off a little bit. They just don't even want to look. So a really, really easy stream to do is to acknowledge that diversity is what we meant, but not where we're going. Symphony is a composition of different parts. Diversity is a range of different parts. Symphony is musical. Symphony is expansive. Symphony is is all coming together for one. Diversity is all working separately. And this change of language, this acknowledgement that we are seeking symphony, we are moving towards this privilege to show up in symphony has really touched a lot of hearts, has really touched a lot of hearts. And um, I'm excited to be speaking about it. I'm excited for the resonance of it. I'm excited that it makes sense, you know, that of course it makes sense, inclusion and symphony. So I'm spending a lot of my time now, we talked a little bit about Maybe I'll use the analogy of a pebble in an ocean and the ripple effect, but I'm spending time now masterminding with some diversity and inclusion leaders who want to see this um, new language, this new fresh perspective in their organization. So how do we do it? I think that's beautiful. And I'm excited to hear about the work of your mastermind around this. So a couple of things that you said that, well, I was sitting here like, 
weeping a little bit listening to you because it the resonance is it's like it plucks at the cords of our human nature that somehow in socialization we forgot we're there and um, how each of us showing up with the privilege of being a human being on this beautiful planet and what an honor it is to be alive and what we can do with it and it's not about making room at the table or in the portrait family portage said but it's it's about where's where is the missing piece like we're missing lots of pieces at this table it's incomplete um there's a sound in the symphony that's missing let's get that happening and that we go out seeking it not because we have to not because it makes business sense but because it makes the song the music more rich and valuable to those who play in it so i'm thinking about this which is all that sounds wonderful in a metaphorical sense. How does this work in practical terms? So I'm thinking of the businesses that I work with, which are very hands-on and practical. And if they want to, and I'm concerned for them too, because when I look at their websites, there's a lot of them, if they put pictures of people on their website, they all look the same. <laughs> they're all the same gender, all the same color, they're all the same. They look the same, same type of position. I'm like, that is just a tunnel vision view of their service to humanity. So how do they then stop doing that or not even stop doing that, but start to look around and say, right, we need more symphony here because it's a big leap, I think, going from let's get the work done to let's enrich the work and think about what we're doing. So in the work that you- I'm so glad you asked that question. Okay, what do you got? My proposition is all things being the same. All things being the same. When you shift your language from diversity and inclusion to inclusion and symphony, just shifting, stop saying diversity and inclusion move to inclusion and symphony, it changes the way you approach the problem. It's gonna be different for every organization. It we all have an understanding of what symphony means. And if that can be our foundation in lieu of diversity, I think we're already winning. And along the way, what we'll get along the way, I think what we'll get is we'll be able to bring blind spots into view as to what's possible, to elevate what's possible. We'll be able to activate curiosities, you know, perhaps expand personal stretch zones as human beings and leaders, perhaps. But diversity doesn't inspire us to do that. So the proposition is actually very simple. It's saying, yes, you met diversity and inclusion. And there's some of us who want to stay there. But for those of us who want to say thank you for all that we've learned, we're moving. Our vision is for inclusion and symphony. Then the call to action is just that, for that to be reflected in their new language and in their work. It's just you, it's very simple, actually. It's, it is simple, and yet you're right. Like, I'm just sitting mulling this over about the power of language and how it can absolutely shift focus and therefore perspective and insight. Um, so with that, too, around the language piece, so if we're shifting from talking about diversity to symphony, what do you think about the shift from inclusion to belonging, or is it inclusion and belonging? What do you reckon around that? I, I get it. I get it. 
but something about belonging it still feels um incomplete yeah it still feels incomplete it still feels um to me incomplete there's nothing about symphony that's incomplete like our resting state is belonging there shouldn't be a call to belong you know there's there's a call to symphony there's a call to for those who don't even want to belong they want to be in isolation but they still want to be part of the music and symphony in my in my humble opinion has no buts what do you mean by that symphony has no buts <laughs> there's no yeah I, i don't even know where to go with that one so what do you mean by that <laughs> Symphony has no, symphony has no negative. Symphony has no confusion, no noise, no triggers, no, no load, no baggage, no buts, no ands. It's symphony. No matter how we each translate it, there's a certain part of each one of us that understands the, the peaceful composition of parts when we say symphony. Belonging, someone still has to do something. It's like, who is giving me the belonging? And what happens when they take it? Like, no, 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 no. This is something that is not even, it's our baseline. Our resting baseline. And just in terms of being inspiring and, um, you know, right now, even in the language, in the, in the conversation of diversity and inclusion, all organizations or most organizations are working in silo. Everybody's working in silos. Like we have this one program, we have this one program. What is the unifying understanding amongst all of us, like, like starlings in murmuration? What is the thing that can have all of us in our unique organizations, leaderships, roles, positions, still working in unison and service to the next seven generations. We get to come together and it shouldn't be that difficult. Like diversity and inclusion is so last year, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you're saying that and you're right there's well yeah people have been talking about it and there's still lots of organizations who are deliberately putting focus on diversity inclusion and targets and quotas so I can anticipate a little bit of how you might respond to that so targets and quotas is that a stepping stone to the symphony or is this like yeah, throw it out it's like no, no, no. It happens concurrently. Okay. I, I think all things rest in this are the same. But what I do believe is that when you change the language, your call to show up and your work becomes different. So it's not really about getting into the micro level of any organization. We all have business goals. We all have metrics. You know, we have those. What we are proposing is that there's a better wave to ride. And with this wave, we can all ride it in our own different and unique ways and still be in unison. The idea that we're all working towards the same. Do we all want to work 
towards diversity. No one wants that. Do we even want to all work towards belonging? Who's giving us belong? Nobody wants that. We all want to work towards symphony. Symphony doesn't matter who you are, how you showed up, what you're, you're in it. You're in it and you're part of it. And I think symphony is this beautiful call to action for everyone who's keen to truly move the needle and how that further manifests and working with some organizations and workshops, how that further manifests into your organization can still be aligned with your business goals. It can still be aligned with your metrics, your branding, your storytelling. Mm. So I'm, I'm really wrestling with this belonging while you wanting to discard belonging. <laughs> Maybe because I've done so much work. No, I don't want to discard belonging. I just vote for symphony. Yeah. As you're speaking, it's like, this is what's happening to me right now. It's like when you get a new perspective, your brain goes, Err! so that's what's happening to my brain. It's going, Err! it's shifting, a, it's shifting a gear somewhere. And I love why those happen. Uh, yeah. Well, that's the, why I do yeah. this kind of work. My, my whole work is about helping people transform to get new perspectives. And it's amazing what happens live on the air in, in real time for me. Uh, it doesn't happen all that often. Um, so the belonging is, let me just air this and see if it resonates with you. So belonging is about creating a, a safe space where people feel like they have a home. And from an evolutionary point of view, that was really useful uh, because it helped us survive as a tribe. We had somewhere safe that we could find as a home. And it does, however, and this is the part I think that, that you're picking up on in your concept, is that it, there's a subtext of us versus them. If I belong somewhere, it means I don't belong mm. elsewhere. There's an in and an out. And um, that is potentially why my brain is disconnecting a little bit because I hadn't necessarily seen the part where belonging has an undertone of exclusion. Like it's, it's other side, it's dark side, is exclusion. And it's a binary thing where symphony is, is inclusion. It is all things. It is, there's no you're in, you're out, you're participating. And it's creating this beautiful music. Is that sort of where you're coming from so, with this? That was so, that was so beautifully um, articulated back. Yes, precisely. There's no buts in symphony. <laughs> <laughs> That's, yes. Yeah. yeah. It, it, and then it becomes by itself a learning tool, right? Like, so who does what with it? How does that further manifest? Who? It's the same thing as diversity and inclusion. Just feels better, inspires more, unites us all, is relevant for where we are today, that we're coming together. Um, I like it a lot. It's definitely a unifying concept, and it's definitely... It's on the leading edge of human uh, leadership maturity. So from a leadership maturity perspective in the work that I do, there's, there's stages that people go through. And we all go through us versus them. And that's earlier stages of leadership maturity. And as we expand and grow as leaders, we, be, we are able to include more and more in our perspective. And so where you've gotten to is like there are no, there are no barriers to inclusion. There, there is simply all. And that is quite an advanced leadership stage to get to. And it shows so much promise in terms of being able to dismantle some of the rages that we have in our societies against one another. Uh, because if we're in symphony, we cannot be in disharmony. 
That's right. I love your message. It's, I, I need to go get off this call and have a cry. <laughs> I just feel so moved. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, all right. Um, and I also feel we may not experience its fullest blossom in our lifetime. Maybe. Who knows? I also feel it's worth doing different for the next generations coming. I feel it's worth setting them up for symphony. Even if all we're setting are stepping stones, like the, the person in a burning house, you don't just look. Let's, let's unite and at least offer stepping stones to the future we dream. Mm, that's beautiful. So if you, had, if you were to encourage someone, an individual, we've had change your language, think about using symphony instead of diversity, what would be another human tip you would give to our fellow leaders? So I would give them, um, can I say five tips? <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> okay. The first one is that we are in a new world that has never been experienced before. There's so much happening so fast. So any assumption that things are still the same is like putting your head in the sand it really is we're in this this world of accelerating change and its impact in the workforce period inclusion is no longer charitable it's no longer charitable it's essential it's necessary for your innovation and your relevance so that's the first point the second point is that in your role as a leader or as a head of diversity and inclusion, your work is in service of humanity. As a head of diversity and inclusion, really, you are a warrior for reuniting humanity. In addition to meeting your core business baselines. You're a warrior for creating new systems that serve those who are in pre-K now better than what we're experiencing. If they're coming and experiencing the same thing in 20 years, it means maybe we just shuffled paper. I don't know. But if we take this seriously and know that our work, our for those of us who have structural power to make differences, it actually matters. The way we think, the way we approach problems, it actually matters. That's something so important to remember now. And finally, on the subject of diversity and inclusion, we have this really low-hanging fruit. It's just there. And it's just an opportunity to say, what we met, thank you. We've learned so much from diversity but that's not where we're going. So why are we calling it that? And so for those innovative change-making leaders who perceive the opportunity for this low-hanging fruit to relanguage it to that of their greatest collective intention that's aligned with growth, organizational, human, personal, then do so. You can do so right now. All else remaining the same. That's beautiful. Thank you. Was that three or five? I got mesmerized by the poetry. I, three. I have two more. Okay. <laughs> the 
fourth one, and Lisa short, is that our work is love made visible. Our customers are beloved. Our employees are beloved. Them is you, We're, you know? And so as we show up in work, as we show up in this concept of work, to remember that those who we serve through our work are actually our beloved. They're our beloved, and this is an opportunity. And the final one, and I'm just throwing in five. I don't, I don't remember the last one, but I love this one so much. Um, is that we have this opportunity to evolve to innovators and creators who solve problems, who meet unmet needs, who are in service to others. We all do. We have this opportunity. You know, in the beginning, when we started Zoe, I talked about what if we went from what's your job to who do you help? What if we went from, you know, what's your position to what unmet need do you meet? It hasn't happened. However, this is an opportunity for all of us who are looking for more to also say, what problem am I solving? How, how am I actually showing up? And this is the whole concept behind the beloved organization model is how do you establish who your beloved customer is? How do you solve the like problems that actually affect the human experience? How do you meet unmet needs, whether you're an architect or you're the head of diversity and inclusion, the head of innovation or the CEO or the CMO? What problem are you solving with your superpowers in this day and age? Um, I think five and four are kind of the same, but you know, passionate about those two. Uh, I think they're not the same. They're related, though. Um, in any case, they're all fabulous. Oshoke, thank you. You have transformed my world this morning, and I'm deeply appreciative of that. And I can't wait to get this episode out into the world and to share your wisdom and your light with even more people. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Zoe. It's a privilege to be in your company. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. And if you are enjoying this series on Points of View, then you'll probably love the articles that I write each and every week on people stuff, the tough stuff in leadership. I write articles with simple tips and tricks and insights to help you manage that tough stuff in leadership, the people stuff. If you go to my website, zoeroute.com, you'll see a little blurb on the people stuff toolkit as a thank you for signing up and getting notification each week for my articles. The people stuff toolkit has really some awesome stuff in it. It's got an ebook version of my latest book, Loyalty, and all the accompanying tips and templates to help you build a workplace worth belonging to that encourages workplace engagement so that you have happy and committed staff. Uh, we'll put a link also in the show notes so you can get easy access right now while you're thinking about it. All right, thanks.